We want to empower them and create a culture where they feel real ownership, where they see how their work connects to the mission, where they see how what we're doing in the short term connects to the long term. And so a lot of my role is like context, context creation. It's making sure that the right stories are getting told. It's making sure that people see that the that connective fiber between day-to-day work and the long-term vision. Um, and it's also being like a real sort of defender of the culture and the mission. It's one small step for man. Liftoff. We, have a liftoff. we choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have hard. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Thank you for joining us for today's Super You Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Quammen. A lot of you know me as Equal Man. Today we have Nick Green. That's the voice that you just heard. He's the co-founder and CEO of Thrive Market, which some of you may know as a membership-based market that makes high-quality, healthy, and sustainable products. So members unlock wholesale prices on top natural and organic products. Um, and he's a serial impact entrepreneur. Nick began in the education space with his first business, Ivy Insiders, which is a college test prep and mentorship program that made tutoring more affordable and helped over 20,000, that's right, 20,000 students get into better colleges. Now, outside of work, Nick loves to travel. He loves investing, reading biographies, and spending time with his wife and daughter. Hails from Minneapolis, Minnesota. What a great place in the world, especially during the summer. And he earned his BA in economics from Harvard. Well, I guess a good place to start is just a little bit of a background on Thrive Market, just so our listeners have a little more knowledge about what we're discussing here today before we get into the, more of the specific questions. One of the big motivators for me in starting Thrive Market, the big motivator, was my own childhood you know, growing up in, in Minnesota with a mom who was trying to get healthy at a time when like there wasn't, you know, the internet didn't exist basically, and there wasn't a lot of information out there. And like her biggest challenge was like figuring out like what healthy meant, like doing her own research. Now the biggest challenge actually is filtering through filtering through the noise and knowing like what is actually healthy, what is actually sustainable, what's real versus what's just optics. And that's where I think actually our role has become, like you said, it's that curator. Um, and uh, and that we've done since the beginning in terms of like the you know, we have 5,000 products on site. If you go into a typical grocery store on the categories that we carry, you're going to have 40,000 or 50,000 products. So, you know, we don't want to show people 30 almond butters. We want to show them the five or seven that are going to be the ones that are really high quality. Uh, but the way we think about it is like, we'll do the work for you so that you can outsource your trust to us. And, uh, and that actually is a way that we make it easier for our members while also aligning to our, to our values even more. Now, most of your background has been purpose-driven companies. I'm curious, as the role of a CEO, does that differ from then, say, a regular Fortune 500 CEO, or or walk us through like what's the role of the CEO in, within the companies? And uh, and it's really been the same lens with our employees. Like we want to empower them and create a culture where they feel real ownership, where they see how their work connects to the mission where they see how what we're doing in the short term connects to the long term. 
And so a lot of my role is like context, context creation. It's making sure that the right stories are getting told. It's making sure that people see that the that connective fiber between day-to-day work and the long-term vision. Um, and it's also being like a real sort of defender of the culture and the mission. I think one of the greatest challenges as you scale, especially as you scale fast, is that growth can really dilute some of that stuff and it can force you to be focused just with kind of you know, keeping the whole machine assembled uh, versus like really stepping back and looking and seeing, is this still doing the things that we wanted to do? So I think companies and organizations and small businesses are becoming better at getting management employee feedback. How, how in the past, maybe they didn't do that in the seventies. They just do your job, but how important do you feel that management employee feedback are? You know, it starts with really clear communication from the leaders of the company. Uh, first, the founders, if they're involved day to day, then the executive team, and then anyone that's managing people that says in no uncertain terms, we are here to listen, we're here to serve. And, um, and like, yeah, that alone, I'm just, it is safe to voice your feedback, to share concerns. Um, and, you know, and that, that we understand that there's insight that comes from the organization that particularly as the business is scaled, like simply can't come from up top. And so I think really impressing on people that we recognize that value and that we are committed to listening and that we're here to serve is the starting point. But that's also not enough. You have to actually then create the conduits or create the channels um, because you know the, the uh, there's a natural resistance to share, especially negative feedback with people in, in positions of authority or perceived power, uh, even if they're saying they want it. And so we really try to say, how can we create mechanisms that just make it easy, right? The same way we're trying to make healthy living easy for our members, how do we make it really easy for our employees to be really clear with us about, you know, what, what the good, the bad, and the ugly of what we're, we are aren't doing right? Now, at Thrive and the other businesses, it's always been important culture and building that court culture. Sometimes it's about employee perks and benefits. And one of those historically has been the workplace itself, but obviously when we go to a hybrid model or working virtually, that benefit goes away. So walk us through just the importance for building culture for perks. Are they overrated? Perks, employee benefits, what are your thoughts? And obviously right now we're seeing a pullback a little bit in Silicon Valley on these. Before, when there was just this rush for just white collar workers it's anything that would put you ahead to get that that work ba- that workforce if you're google you need to have a better chef than facebook actually it was the inverse facebook actually hired the chefs from google uh as a perk to attract people from google to come over to facebook this is talking at the beginning of facebook but uh, walk us through just the employees perks and benefits i think another area of innovation that we've thought a lot about is benefits and kind of perks. So like we had this amazing office space that we were in for five years prior to the pandemic. We had, you know, amazing Thrive snacks. We had lunch, healthy, healthy, organic lunch served every single day. We had a meditation and like chill out room where we would hold meditation and yoga classes. Yeah, we had a full little gym right there in the office. And these were like amazing kind of perks for employees, which yeah. all of a sudden nobody could access when the pandemic started. So, you know, we've shifted and, and looked at, and this was also geared by what people were asking about, but, you know, realized that the pandemic was having a mental health toll on people. And so we actually launched a tool and a platform resources for our, our employees to get mental health counseling and like really make that affordable, make it easy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started to really lean into to health benefits as people became just more health, like health conscious and, and some had to access the, the medical system. Um, and so that, you know, that was things like the amount of the premiums that we're covering on, on, on health, on, uh, on medical benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, we also noticed during the pandemic and part of this is also our business maturing. And like, as we've hired more people that are at the stage of having families that, you know, we just really need to focus on creating benefits that aren't just for our individual employees, but also for their families. You know, on this show, we always say if it was easy, it would already be done. So there's obviously challenges, there's failures. We talk about being flossom here a lot on the Super U podcast. Can you walk us through any core challenges, any examples that you might be able to give us that you've faced at Thrive or in other positions you've had in your career? As, as you can probably imagine. I think the fundamental challenge that we have in every category that we go to is that we, you know, one, have to be affordable. Two, we want to up-level quality standards. Um, and then three, we want it to actually be a product that people, you know, enjoy and, you know, say, taste good. And you have a lot of retailers and a lot of brands out there that are trying to do one of those things or maybe two of those things, but doing all of them well is really challenging. And this is a perfect example. Um, we brought a master sommelier in to curate our wine assortment, and we basically told him, look, we need to be under $20 a bottle and ideally under 15 um, We need to have a taste profile that really matches like you know, mainstream wine consumers' palates. We also need it to be organic and biodynamic. Um, and we then we challenged him. We said, and we also want it to be something you would put, you know, in a restaurant with a Michelin star. He's like, well, we'll see about that. But I can definitely hit the other three. And we have a program now that, you know, I would put it up against any wine program in the country, um, and is doing it all with organic and biodynamic direct sourcing from typically small wineries, usually in Europe. Um, and we're, you know, now price point probably eighty percent of those bottles are under twelve dollars. There's a lot in the media talking about, this, especially younger generations, they want to know where their food source, they want to know the why behind the company, they want to know where the profits flow. It, it, and sometimes, well, to some extent, I think that's true. On the other hand, I also think and feel if you look at the data, oftentimes your actions speak louder than words, meaning that, hey, if this milk's a dollar cheaper than the other milk, all of a sudden you go, you know, I'm going to buy the cheaper milk, maybe having the cow massaged daily and olive oil isn't as important to me. What's more important is my pocketbook. So in short, what do you feel the future of conscious consumers, what role will they play? Yeah, so I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear uh, the stats that I cited earlier. You know, $75,000 household income, 50% in the Midwest and the Southeast. Uh, we are not tapping into an exclusively affluent, uh, you know, millennial uh, uh, sort of coastal population. Um, and I think, you know, again, to tie it back to the theme of conscious consumption, uh, if you rewind the clock, you know, 10 or even five years ago, uh, most of that sort of movement was very much in urban areas, relatively high disposable income. And I think that's really changed. Um, the internet has made information access broader. Um, you have influencers that are, uh, that are you know, reaching populations that may not have been, been reading about these things earlier. Uh, and as a result, they want the same products, they want the same lifestyle. Uh, and yet they may not be able to afford it, or they may not have access to the products, or they may not know where to start. So those are the barriers that we kind of break down. Um, and what we've, uh, what we've found is that when you do that, uh, all of a sudden, anyone can become a conscious consumer. Mm-hmm. I think consumers are going to continue to have higher expectations. Uh, they're going to want more transparency into supply chains. 
Uh, they're going to want to vote with their dollars to support brands whose values align to them. Uh, they're going to want to hear the stories of the producers, uh, the way that we're doing with wine and meat and seafood and with our private label products. Um, and I think that what you're going to see is that uh, I, I would almost describe it as a return to the community grocery store. And, but the community is no longer going to be a geographic. It's going to be around values. So people will want to be part of uh, shopping experiences in a lot of categories, but even in grocery, uh, that really align to, to who they are and what they stand for. How do we make it easy for consumers to do good? Meaning, right now, the last year in Austin, they have these compost. We got another bin. So most people have your trash bin, you have your recycling bin, and then now we have a compost bin. And I'd say 70% of our stuff is compost. We don't buy a lot of boxed food. So it's fantastic. We throw it in the composter. But then I started to notice across the subdivision that none of these green bins were being rolled out. And that made sense because they didn't make it easy. So I have to go out and buy specific bags for the compost so that these you know break down over time. So now that's an additional cost to me versus where before I just throw it in the trash bin. So now I've got an additional cost. And it's also a pain. I got to keep these bags stocked. I got to buy these bags. Then secondarily, the bag starts to break down. So if I forget to change the bag at day three and I put some egg yolks in there, all of a sudden it starts to break down that bag. I pick the bag up, dump, boom, dump a bunch of garbage on my floor. Not a good experience. And, and also it attracts these little gnats, these bugs, because if you're not emptying that compost every couple days, there's food in there, obviously. And so then the bugs start to come in. So when you talk to your neighbors, that's why all of a sudden there's no green bins rolled out. We're still doing it. We're taking one for the team, but it is a, it is a pain. It's not easy. So the key is really in my mind, if you want people to change, you got to make it better product. You got to make it easier for them to use. Like Tesla comes out with a car, electric car, that's a great product. So then people want it and they'll drive electric. So walk us through the, the power of how we can do that. How can we make it easy for the consumer to do things right? I think the interesting opportunity we have in the future, and you kind of got it, got at this as well, like with all the data that we have and the fact that we're online, we can one, not just curate to like the present demand, but see where that demand's going over time um, so that we are curating out ahead of it and actually helping you to push people in the direction of say regenerative, where like we can accelerate the movement to regenerative if we're tagging products that are regenerative organic if we're actually moving our own supply chains there um, and then, you know, facilitating through technology, you know, when you go into a grocery store, if you want to shop for regenerative items, like literally you're going to have to go and look at the, uh, look at the packaging for every single item that you're, that you look at, uh, at Thrive Market, you click a filter and it just filters right down for you. So it's pretty cool to be able to not just enable people to do something, but actually accelerate the rate at which they do it. Um, and, and accelerate the shift to these trends. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Nick Green, co-founder and CEO at Thrive Market. We thank him for his tips and insights today on today's Super U podcast. The podcast designed to unlock and unleash the superpower that's within all of us because I strongly believe we are all superheroes. We just need that courage to wear the cape. So my hope is that the information that's supplied here on the podcast is allowing you to have that courage to wear the cape. You are a superhero. Just have that courage to step into that discomfort, to live in that discomfort, to be fearless. Because at the end of the day, it's a short window that we're here on earth. It's why do we get so wrapped up in our own head and are afraid to do things? It's I hope you go out there and do what you want to do. 
And most importantly, be. Be the person that you want to be. This podcast is all made possible for the great folks here at Equal Man Studios. That's Jake Brin, Maritza Gutierrez, and Kelsey Gomez. My hope is they've helped you today. We have the courage to wear the cape. And this is Equal Man reminding all of us, until the next show, thanks for tuning in. Until the next show, it's not what we take from the world. It is what we leave behind. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Uh, here's the way that about. 